Welcome back to the 5K Every Day in the Month of May 2021 podcast. I'm Jeff Pullen, and I am so glad that you've been sticking with me through this challenge. We're almost one week in, and I'm sure you are starting to feel it. This is not an easy challenge. It is a simple challenge, but not an easy challenge. One thing that really helps, I think, is knowing that you are not alone. There are hundreds of us crazy 5K mayors getting out there every day and putting in the work. If you don't believe me, just go to the Facebook group page and see all of the interactions. In fact, I want to encourage you to go over to the Facebook group page yourself and put up your own post, letting us know how you are doing. To get you started today, how about a fun, upbeat song from Pullin' Band called Our God Saves.
To everyone who made it out to the Salsa Roja 5.5K last night, I trust you had a great time. I sure did. My daughter Piper was the fastest in her age group, which is pretty awesome for an 11-year-old to be the fastest 19 and under. Congratulations to her for sure. That's really impressive. I happened to win my own age group as well, so we won matching maracas. It was an awesome race. The next group run in the Worcester, Ohio area will actually be taking place on the Dalton Trail in Dalton, Ohio on Saturday morning. If you are in the area and want to join us, that would be awesome. If you're not in the area, you should totally put your own group run together. Misery loves company. I mean, we are stronger together. Also, if you are in the Worcester, Ohio area, don't forget about the Go Eddie 5K that is coming up next week on Saturday, May 15th in Mount Hope, Ohio. That is going to be a super fun run and it is for a great cause. If you make it to the run, be sure to stick around for the concert afterwards. Poland Band will be headlining the event, so that should be a lot of fun as well. We will be having some sort of group run or race opportunity every Wednesday and Saturday throughout May 2021. But I also want you to put Saturday, June 26th on your radar. The 8th annual Jeff Pullen Music 5K and Music Festival will be happening in Apple Creek, Ohio on the evening of Saturday, June 26th. It is going to be a great event. If you have never run the JPM 5K course, you are missing out. It's pretty wild. You run on back roads, dirt trails, gravel paths, back alleys, and along a state highway all in a single 5K. The first half of the 5K makes you really work for it, but the second half offers a sweet, sweet downhill reward. We usually have the 5K and Music Fest in September, but we wanted to move it to as close to 5K May as possible because we give out the 5K every day in the month of May finishers t-shirts at the event. So it's a great way to put all of your 5K May effort to use by racing a 5K, and it is also your first opportunity to get your hands on that sweet t-shirt that you're working so hard to earn. For anyone who lives outside of the area or will not be going to the JPM 5K and Music Fest, afterwards we will have the shirts at Vertical Runner of Worcester for two weeks for local pickup, and we will be shipping all of the remaining shirts out after that. So to be clear, you will still get your shirt even if you are not at the 5K and Music Festival in Apple Creek, Ohio on June 26th, but your first chance to pick up your shirt and be publicly recognized for your accomplishment will be at the 5K and Music Fest. All right, let's go ahead and jump back into the Gospel of Matthew for today's Bible reading. Chapter 16. One day, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, You know the saying, Red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, You have such little faith. Why are you arguing with one another about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again I say this, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast and bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? 
Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would rise from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began reprimanding him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The religious leaders are once again demanding a sign from Jesus. Matthew 16.1 says, One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. What? Were they blind? Jesus was performing miracles all over the place. What more could they possibly want from him? I think it's safe to say that for the spiritually blind, hard-hearted haters, no sign in the world would be enough to satisfy their skepticism. Amazingly, just one chapter back in yesterday's reading, we saw Jesus performing all kinds of clearly recognizable miracles. The appropriate result was that the people glorified God. You can see that in Matthew 15, 30 through 31. It says, a vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking and the blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. So which category do we tend to fit into? Are we in the camp of the religious leaders who were spiritually blind and hard-hearted, refusing to give God glory for the amazing things he has done? Or are we in the camp that recognizes God's goodness in our lives and willingly glorifies him because of it? God is good. At the beginning of 2020 on New Year's Day, I was out on my daily run and it struck me that even the air that I breathe, the blood pumping through my veins, the ability of my legs to run and my eyes to take it all in, it's all a good and perfect gift from above, from the Father of heavenly lights who never changes or casts a shifting shadow. As I was running, I began writing a lyric in my head based off of those thoughts. I got home from my run, sat down at the piano, and turned that simple lyric into a song called Great Things You Have Done. Later on in 2020, as we all know, the world went fairly crazy. We experienced a global shutdown in the face of a terrible pandemic, and the government issued a stay-at-home order. During that stay-at-home order, our family decided to do something productive with our lives, so we fired up the recording studio and recorded our first song as a family. We decided to use that song that I had written on New Year's Day. 
So here's a little bonus music for you today, featuring my oldest daughter on the violin, my second oldest daughter on the ukulele, my third oldest daughter on piano, my beautiful wife singing backing vocals, and the whole family singing and clapping along in the background. This is the first single from my upcoming solo record, which should be released in the fall of 2021. The song is called Great Things You Have Done. I don't know how long I will travel Taking these trips around the sun But I know as long as I'm able I will make the best of each one And each day you wake me up Is a day I'll lift you up
Chapter 17. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they only saw Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Then his disciples asked him, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was awaiting them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment on, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. After they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with grief. On their arrival in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked them, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. Then they went into the house. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people? or the people they have conquered. They tax the people they have conquered, Peter replied. Well then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. There's something quite interesting that happens here in Matthew 17, and it's easy to miss. I'm gonna say something that may surprise you, but hang with me, and I think you'll end up agreeing with me. I believe that Jesus was essentially a youth pastor. By that I mean that the 12 disciples, those who were walking with him and ministering alongside of him, were most likely teenagers. Check out this passage again from Matthew 17, 24 through 27. It says, On their arrival in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. Then he went into the house. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, Well, what do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people they have conquered? They tax the people they have conquered, Peter replied. Well then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. 
Now, I may be reading too far into this, and I don't want to skip over the part where Jesus sent Peter off to gather a coin from the mouth of a fish, because that's just super cool. But I think that this passage is giving us a bit of insight into the age of the disciples. What? How did I get that? Well, let's quickly turn to the book of Exodus to get an understanding of what this temple tax thing is all about. This is from Exodus 30, verses 13 and 14. It says, Each person who is counted must give a small piece of silver as a sacred offering to the Lord. This payment is half a shekel based on the sanctuary shekel, which equals 20 geras. All who have reached their 20th birthday must give this sacred offering to the Lord. Well, there it is. The temple tax is half a shekel each, one for Peter and one for Jesus. That much is plain from the text in Matthew 17, 27, but the passage also seems to indicate that only Peter and Jesus were required to pay the temple tax, which means, if I'm reading this correctly, that only Peter and Jesus were 20 years old and upward, according to the temple tax description given in Exodus 30, verse 14. This tells me that Jesus was essentially a youth pastor with one adult leader, Peter, and 11 teenagers in his youth group. And one of those teenagers was a really, really bad student, by the way. Now, to be fair, we probably don't even need to understand how the temple tax worked in order to realize that the disciples were likely in their teenage years while they walked with Jesus. Most biblical historical scholars agree that Jesus was crucified somewhere around 30 AD and that the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were likely written 30 or 40 years later. From a simple life expectancy perspective, it is reasonable to believe that they walked with Jesus in their teens and then wrote their account when they were in their 40s, 50s, or 60s. The implications for this are pretty incredible. With that one adult leader and 11 teenagers, Jesus was able to change the world. I spent nearly 10 years as a youth pastor. I never saw that position as a stepping stone into real ministry. I saw myself as walking in the footprints of Jesus. Admittedly, I was not nearly as good or effective at it as Jesus was, but it was a real privilege and an honor to follow in his footsteps. This passage reminds me of the priorities and the plan of God. He is in the business of using the least, the lowly, the overlooked, the most unlikely, and empowering them to do something amazing to the glory of God. Chapter 18. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. 
If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And I'm also going to tell you this, if two of you here on earth agree concerning anything you ask in my Father's name, he will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the king of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. Now in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned just to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and he begged, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed the servant by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down and begged him for a little bit more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I am blown away by the level of forgiveness that God shows towards us. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see a shepherd who is willing to leave 99 sheep to find the one that has wandered away. When we wander away, we are really saying to God, I don't want you. I don't like you. I don't need you. I'll do it my own way. Thank you very much. How offensive is that? But God loves us so much and is willing to forgive us so completely that he gives us this parable to help us understand the depth of how he cares for us. This illustration of forgiveness quickly turns from God's willingness to our responsibility as followers of Christ. Immediately after the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus talks about what to do when your brother sins against you and how to at least attempt to bring restoration to the relationship. God cares about forgiveness. In fact, the chapter ends with this incredibly convicting parable of the unforgiving servant. I want to read it again because I don't want us to miss it. 
The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Yikes. I would say that God is pretty serious about forgiveness. He is serious about offering it, and he is serious about us offering it to others. But honestly, why wouldn't we? For those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ and have been forgiven of all of our sins, why wouldn't we freely offer forgiveness to those who sin against us? Life is too short to hold a grudge. Eternity is too long to miss out on. Trust in Jesus, accept his forgiveness, offer forgiveness to others, and enjoy God forever. I sure hope you have been enjoying this journey through the Gospels together. I trust that God has been revealing himself to you through his word, which is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, exposing our inmost thoughts and desires. We are well on our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are well on our way through this 5K every day in the month of May challenge. You are doing great. Keep it up. To send you out today, here's another song from Poland Band called Rich in Mercy. As for you, you were dead in your sins in which you used to live. All of us We were too We were dead like you Following our sinful hearts We were by nature Only objects of God's wrath Because of His great love for us God who is rich in mercy Made us alive in Christ Even when we were dead Because of His great love for us Our God who is rich in mercy Alive with Christ Even when we were 
God who is rich in 